Grace Auburn Church Podcast. In this week's sermon, Pastor Matt Dean begins our new sermon series, Sent, For God So Loved the World. I just want to say a round of applause to everyone that makes all this happen, and it's a thankless job, but there's a lot of hard work that goes into it, so can you just give them a hand for what they do every week? There's a whole squad of fellows behind this thing that you can't see, and, and it's just, a, my, I was grinning cheek to cheek over there, just listening to you sing the praises of Jesus, and what a special night it is to be together. Um, Easter has happened, and uh, what do we do after Easter, especially if you're new to faith and new to walking with Jesus, and it's like, well, I go to church on Christmas and Easter, and I just, I just want to say there's so much more than Christmas and Easter. Yes, those are the things that our faith hinges on, but there's the day in and day out celebration and relationship that we've been invited into with Jesus, and this week matters in the kingdom of God, too. And this week matters in the city of Auburn, too. And already you've been able to participate in the kingdom of God. Already you've been able to participate and intervene on behalf of people in Somalia. Already you have been participating in the kingdom that God has established around the world and is growing and growing and growing. And you didn't have to have it all together to be a part of that. And I just want to say to you, welcome to Grace Auburn. We are not even a year old and we've got a long way to go in the kingdom of Jesus. But as we enter into settling into life as a church plant here in this great city, one concern I have is that we are five weeks away, I think, from getting into our own space with our own seats and our own unlimited parking lots. Hello? And it's going to feel like what we want it to feel. And it's, you're going to walk in and it's going to be what we want it to look like. But five weeks out from becoming a more permanent church plant, if you will, there's this hesitation in me to go, but we have not arrived. And just because we walk into a building, we are not done stepping into the fullness of what God has for us. And we don't want to plant a church full of spectators. We don't want to plant a church full of people that show up and then leave and then are not different any other time during the week. We want to plant a church. Really, we want to plant a community of faith that rallies around the name and person and purposes of Jesus, not out of duty, although that's not all bad, but more so out of delight because we find so much love and joy in our lives that how can we give our lives to anything other than that? And the kingdom of Jesus is compelling. Religion is dead. The kingdom of Jesus leads to life and fullness and happiness and joy, but it doesn't mean life is perfect. But there is a joy that abounds in relationship with Jesus. And I don't want to move us into a building on 720 East Glen and just think, sweet, we're done. No, we're just beginning. And we exist for the city and for this campus and for the nations on earth to know and love Jesus. And we do that by establishing authentic gospel communities all throughout this city. And next week, we're going to have the opportunity to come around a brother who is going to the nations. And we're going to come around this dear friend and pray over him and send him out to a place that not a lot of us could go and thrive. And there where he goes, he is going to declare the glory of Jesus to the people around him. We are just getting 
started. So when I think post-Easter, I just want to remind you we're just beginning. And there's no point in planting a church for the people of spectators. We are planting a community of faith that makes a difference in this city and on the campus of Auburn War Eagle and in the nations around the world. And I can't wait to see what God is going to do in this next year. Some of you have been with us from the beginning, like back when we met at Ross House last March. And it was, as I describe it, sweet chaos. 18 adults and 18 children and just a lot of weariness at the end of the day. But we're not, we're not there anymore and we're not going to be there for long either. And if there's a place for you to serve, we are actively figuring out how can all of you participate in kingdom purposes that would lead to joy in your life in this church as we seek to impact and influence this city. There's a place for every one of you to belong and serve in a meaningful way. I don't have that figured out. Maybe you can help us figure that out. But I know that in this city, there are far more people that don't know Jesus than do. And I took a walk in my neighborhood this morning, and almost every driveway was full, including my own. But I had a good reason, because I'd be here tonight. As we think about the gospel, and we think about Jesus, as we think about life after Easter, will you join me in your Bibles tonight with John chapter 3, verse 16? We're going to walk through five passages of Scripture, and I want to show you two movements in the Gospels, and then we're going to land in one of Paul's letters to the church. It's going to kind of help give clarity around this idea of what does it mean to be sent, even if you never leave. We're going to come around the idea of what does it mean to be sent, even if you never leave 36830, 36832360831043104, or 36833-something. I know a lot of you students will go. But a lot of you are here to stay, and we rejoice in that. So the question we're going to ask tonight is, what does it mean to live as though we are all sent, as though we all have something to say, as though we all have something to do, as though we all have a role to play in the kingdom of Jesus here on earth? I want to show you the precedent of love. And so if you have your Bibles, turn to John 3.16, and we're going to look at this together. For God so what? Loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. What was the motivation? It was love, and therefore he gave his son. Verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe already stands condemned because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for the fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. If you want to cross-reference that, you can open up your Bibles, not now, but later, to Romans chapter 1. Just make a side note, and it really articulates a very similar idea. So we see in John 3 a couple things. One, that, that love was the motivation for God to send. And then there's a clear, stark dis difference or distinction between those who love the light and those who don't. For those who love the light, there's no fear and exposure. But for those who love the darkness, there's fear of exposure. And a few weeks ago, I talked about that the idea that obedience, in fact, leads to greater joy in our lives. It's not the opposite. 
The world would say that disobedience will lead to greater pleasure. But in fact, because you've been made new in Christ, obedience, doing the right thing in the name and power of Jesus, actually brings you joy. Saying no to sin means saying yes to joy in your life and yes to honoring God in your life. And trust me, I know the difference for I have experienced both. I have said yes to sin, and I have said no to sin, and the difference is obvious in addition to the fact that I've grieved God's heart and chosen what would lead to death rather than to life. And if you're here tonight and you've been leaning towards choosing to disobey rather than obey, can I just give you some freedom so you can take a deep breath? There's equal ground at the foot of the cross tonight. I need the cross tonight. I don't have it together tonight. So you don't need to have it together tonight. But we all together tonight at least need to acknowledge the sufficiency of Jesus who has come to set us free from the power and penalty and ultimately the presence of sin so that we can say yes to him with greater joy and obedience in our life. Turn with me now to John chapter 20. I'm going to show you a couple movements in Scripture. John chapter 20, it's after the resurrection. Okay, so we, as you're turning there, John 20, verse 21. Okay, we heard that love was the motivation for God to send his son. Now I want you to see what happens in John 20, verse 21. Jesus has already appeared to his disciples. He's risen from the grave. He's doing amazing things in my mind, like walking through locked doors and walls. The disciples are in disbelief, but he comes and stands among them and says, Peace be with you. They don't know what to do. And then Jesus says in verse 21, Peace be with you. And look at this next part. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. In a few weeks, I will take you through Scripture and history to see the movement of God through the people of God as we begin in a garden and end up in a new city in heaven. But for tonight, what I want you to see is there is a principle at play here, and that is that God sends people. And out of love, he sent his son, and out of purpose, he is sending us. Out of love, he sent his son, but for his kingdom purposes, he is sending us. And let's just own it a little bit. Out of his purposes in the world, he is sending you. And he is sending me. And you're like, uh-oh, I don't know where I'm going, and I don't really know what I'm saying. Hang with me till the end, because I can answer both of those for you tonight. I want you to see the principle that God sends people. He first sent his son to be the offering that would make people like us right. And now he sends his people, and his people are called the church. And that's why we plant churches, is so that people can proclaim the goodness of Jesus. Turn with me back a couple of books to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. This is going to feel a lot like a Bible drill, and it's okay if you don't know where those are. Um, you can just look at a neighbor, but um, Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse 18. Okay, again, this is another gospel account. Jesus has appeared after the resurrection of the grave. This is after Easter, if you will, okay? And he gathers his disciples again in the region where he lived and served. Verse 18, it says, Then Jesus came to them that were gathered around him and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So now we have this principle in our mind that God sends people because he sent his son in love to be that sin offering. And then God sends his people called the church to go and make disciples of who? All nations. And I think for some of us, we've, a lot of us have grown up in North America. Some of you have never left the town you're in. And sometimes we just make this thought that God looks just like us and grew up like us. And we, we just form this false theology about who God is when he's the one that commands the stars in the heavens. And he's so much greater than North America, right? I mean, praise God he's greater than North America. And what I see in this passage of scripture is that when Jesus commissioned these followers of his, he had the end in mind. And the end in mind he had would that be all nations would know and love him. And there's this movement throughout scripture. I mean, if you go Old Testament to New, if you go from beginning to the end, there were people and then a chosen people and then the faithfulness of God to reveal himself to those people, whether they obeyed or disobeyed. And there's history around God's faithfulness to a people that he chooses and the promise of a savior who would come for imperfect people. And in fact, that savior did come for imperfect people. His name is Jesus. And he lived his life and died his death and rose from the grave and then commissioned people to take what he has done to the ends of the earth and we sometimes stop there until we remember the words of amazing grace that when we've been there 10,000 years what bright shining as sun we've no less days of seeing God's praise than when we first begun and sometimes we fall into this thought of this is it eat drink and be merry for tomorrow we die and this is it this is not it you were made for more, created for more, and you are eternal. And you have been made eternally alive in Jesus because of the gospel. This is not the end. But I do want to show you a picture of the end. If you will turn with me to Revelation, I can help you on this one. It's the last book in the Bible, okay? Revelation chapter 7. And I want to just show you something. I want to give you a glimpse of something, this movement from Jesus saying... Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. And then at the very back of your Bible, Revelation chapter 7, I want you to see the fruition of what Jesus asked those people to do. Revelation chapter 7, beginning in verse 9. And after this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. And they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Can you imagine a multitude of people that kind of look like us, but a whole lot more that don't look like us. And can you imagine the multitude of people in a really, really deafening voice in a language that God knows? 
salvation, the redemption of my soul in you belongs to our God. Can you picture that? I mean, we know in Scripture from a few verses over that there are a hundred million angels that day and night never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is is, is to come. So on top of the voices of a hundred million angels saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. There's a multitude of people from every nation saying salvation belongs to our God. And let me just help you out and just visually think this through. Jesus said, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded. And surely I am with you always. And behold, before me was a multitude beyond comprehension of people from every nation saying, Salvation belongs to our God. Now, that's true, and that's true, and we are standing in the gap of making that true on earth. And the church's commission is to carry the name of Jesus here and there, both and. And my fear for us is that as we settle into a new church location, that we will lose sight of the fact that God is building a global kingdom. And I don't ever want our church to grow dull to the urgency of what it means to bring to fruition that vision that people from every tribe, tongue, nation, and language will say, because he is worthy, salvation belongs to our God. Keep reading. It says, all the angels, how many we think a hundred million, all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and around the four living creatures, and they fell down before their faces and worshiped God, saying, Amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. I just want to settle on those words for a minute. Praise and glory because he's worthy. Okay, Praise and glory because he's worry, worthy. Wisdom and thanks and honor because he is the only one that could have done it. It was his plan. The cross was God's plan A for Jesus to suffer and die. Plan A. Always God's plan A to see Jesus exalted that every tribe, tongue, nation, language, and people would say, He is my God, my Savior, the one who set me free from sin and death. I praise you, Jesus. You are my Redeemer. That is his plan A, the exaltation of Christ among all people. Wisdom and thanks and honor because it was he alone that did it and power and strength to send his son as a sacrifice offering for me and you, and strength to raise his son from the grave. Be to our God forever and ever. Amen. So then, we get back to the life of local church. And between the great commission and the throne of heaven, we land in history. And a couple millennia later, the principles that were true for the earliest of churches are still absolutely true for us. So in your Bibles, if you're t- you'll turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5.
2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 14. For Christ's love compels us. I want you to circle the word compels. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. I'm going to read that again. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. Verse 15. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. And all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And here's what that ministry is. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he is committed to us this message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God who made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That is the great exchange. That is, speaks to why we do it. It speaks to what we do and gives great freedom to where we go about proclaiming this very message. And I want you to know that the idea of Christ's love compelling us, that is real. And that is true. And history shows, if you look for the past 2,000 years, there have been people compelled. This strong desire and urge and willingness to go to the hard places on earth and the difficult neighbors next door. That Christ's love compels us. And here's the reason I can say that unequivocally. Because Jesus said this to just a few guys on a hillside. And you're sitting here today. Because someone told someone who told someone, who told someone, who told someone, who told someone, who told someone a lot more times about Jesus than you are sitting here today. And it is the love of Jesus that compels us because we are in fact convinced that one named Jesus died for all. And so we no longer live for ourselves, which leads to emptiness, which leads to selfishness, which leads to hollowness, but we live for him who died for them, us, so that we may make him known. A lot of you don't know this. Some of you do know this. So just so that we all know this, this is our second time living in Auburn. And from 02 to 09, my wife April and I, uh, we led a campus ministry here. And it was 
amazing, and we were thrilled to be a part of it. And, um, and God showed favor to that little expression of life here on Auburn's campus, and we, we began to attract the attention of other organizations that thought, hmm, well, there's a lot of students gathering here, so what if we, what if we took Matt on a trip to these places and helped him see what we do so that maybe these students can go and be a part of what we do? Because one fantastic thing about a church in a university town is that there is a huge supply of people with the time and availability to go in the name of Jesus. It's almost an unlimited army of missionaries to do. And this town is one of the most strategic places I can think of sending students from Auburn that love Jesus to the nations. And um, on December 14th, 2005, I was a young man then, did not have gray hair. I don't even know that I had a beard. I did have one of these cool little things right here because that's what was happening in the, in the early 2000s. And boot cut jeans were, were just really amazing. And so you can look it up. It's on Facebook. I was there. Um, I'm in Beijing on an airplane, weeping like a little girl. Because I had read through Romans and specifically had read through how will they hear unless someone tells them and how will someone tell them unless they are sent. And I had been in China for the first time in my adult life. I went in high school, but I went back in 2005 and I saw the sea of faces that looked hopeless and helpless and just. And I was on these college campuses and I was thinking about amazing things happening in Auburn and could not reconcile how campus after campus in China at the time, there was nothing happening. And I would go and I would talk to these English teachers there who looked a lot like me and you, and I'd say, what's it like? And the answer is really harsh, really lonely, really isolated, really slow, really, really slow, really, really lonely, really and I was sitting back in this airplane seat, and I'm reading through the Bible. I'm reading through Romans. I'm reading through the Gospels, and I'm just weeping because I can't reconcile the abundance of life in Auburn and the scarcity of life there. And let me just tell you, I had stepped into the American dream and was living it. I had all the stuff. I had a great job. I had a great family. I had a great ministry. I was satisfied and great and they're on the runway in the midst of smog and pollution next to two people that were wondering what is going on I was crushed by the weight of brokenness and lostness and these are my words that I wrote down on the plane and you can see this is, this is me reading to you this is from Jeremiah chapter 1 before I formed you in the womb I knew you before you were born I set you apart I appointed you as a prophet to the nations you must go everywhere I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them. For I am with you and will rescue you. And then these are my words with tears all over the page in an airplane. I weep with a newfound brokenness for Asia. In a desperation to see your glory here, I read the gospel and desire to be used in whatever fashion you choose. I trust you will lead me. 
I keep thinking I understand my calling, and then you show me more. I thought it was discipleship, and then realized it was leadership. I thought it was worship leading, and then realized it was communication. I thought it was college ministry to Auburn students, and then realized it may be something else. Father, what is it? I realize to know you means everything. And I want to see Chinese students sing with you. And um, four years later, we were there. And two years later, we were back home. And two years later, we were back. And four years later, we were back home. And God allowed our family to walk through some real wonderful, difficult moments so that I could stand here before you today and just say with credibility, not everyone has to go, but some of you sure should. Not everyone has to do it, but we all have a role to play. And I can't wait with time to see what you will do in the name of Jesus that the nations would know him. On Tuesday, uh, my wife goes to this group that's not really Instagram friendly. Can't really do a whole lot about that. And she gathers with the wives of international graduate students here. And she gathers with these ladies from countries that would blow your mind. And our daughters and their daughters play together. And it's the sweetest thing that's probably not ever going to be photographed. But I'm telling you that the nations are here. I read to you a couple weeks ago that 100 nations are represented on Auburn's campus. And it's very likely you would never have to get on a plane. You would never have to go. Just look in your neighborhood or go to Starbucks or go to Walmart in the afternoon, and you will see that the nations are, in fact, here and your neighbors. And on Tuesday morning, she was with the wives of these international students, and then I got home from work, and I could tell in the midst of her father battling cancer, in the midst of soccer practices, in the midst of just everyday chaos of life, if my life is chaotic just like yours, she was like, I think I'm going to go. I'm like, to where? She goes, well, there's a another gathering this afternoon in a nearby park for students from Turkey. And I'm just going to go and, and just see what happens. And I'm like, man, I'm tired. But okay. And she goes, and I, I don't need you to come with me. I'm just, I'm just going to go. And I'm like, all right, I'll, I'll hold the fort down with some of the kids. You take some and we'll just see what happens. And it was 3.30 and I was really thinking, man, I wish she was here. And she was thinking, what have I done? And I called her on the phone and said, hey, How's it going? You feeling all right about this? She goes, uh, well, uh, I'm the only one here. And I'm like, well, hang in there and just, just see what happens. And in the next hour, she eases over from the playground to the pavilion and begins conversations with people from another country that a lot of us will never visit. She gets home that evening. We get back from soccer practice. And this is what I saw. And this is what I'm sharing. I'm not sharing this to put her on a pedestal. Please hear me. I'm sharing this to give you an example of just a simple yes and what happens in your heart when you say yes. Despite her father battling leukemia, despite the real fatigue of mothering seven children, despite the real fatigue of being my wife, <laughs> despite the residual fatigue of planting a church, despite all of that, I listened to what she experienced that afternoon in the park Stepping into awkward moments, pressing through the difficult, awkward introductions. Why are you here? Why you don't, you're not even from Turkey? Why are you here? And I can tell you there was so much joy 
on her face because she wins. And I want you to know that same joy. And if you're asking them a question, well, gosh, I, I don't really know what to say. Here's what you can say. Be reconciled to God. He who knew no sin became sin so that you could become the righteousness of God. Well, you're like, well, I, I don't know where to go. Then pray that Christ's love would compel you. And then just start taking little steps as your heart gets those nudges. And I just want to say up front, it's really awkward. And you're going to feel really insecure and ill-equipped, but you are not, in fact, ill-equipped. You are compelled by love with a new perspective. If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. And you are prepared for the mission because Jesus has done the work. Okay, so you are compelled by love, and you are proclaiming the finished work of Jesus that anyone would listen to. And I'm telling you, if you will step into this, you will experience that Ephesians 2.10 moment that you read about in the Bible where you go, I don't know really how all this works. And the final thing I want to do is just speak to your fears about going next door or speak to your fears about getting on a plane. And let me just speak to all of those fears together and then we're going to land this plane. On the campus of Auburn University, okay, there is no other God who has done what Jesus has done. So you step into the dorm rooms, you step into the classrooms, you step into the fraternity house, you step into the sorority chapter room, you step into where you are with the confidence that there is no other God who has done what Jesus has done. Period. And in the streets of Beijing or Bangkok or Bangalore or wherever it is that you may be called to go and serve, there is no other God who has done what Jesus has done. So step into it with confidence because your confidence rests on the accomplished, finished work of Jesus. You don't have to think it up because he's done it for you. In the face of a cancer diagnosis, there is no other God who has said, I've conquered sin and death forever, so you are alive in me and forever. In the face of suffering and persecution like what happened in Sri Lanka last weekend, there is no other God who has made a way where there is no other way. So I'm just telling you, you can stand confidently on the finished work of Jesus and proclaim what he has done to your neighbor and the nations. Both and. And that's why we pray every week. Because I know that as some of you pray, that prayer will lead to burdens. And that burden will lead to conviction, and that conviction will lead to calling, and that calling will lead to going, and that going will mean we will send you. And that is going to be awesome. Because in the, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. And then we know that before the throne, there's a multitude from every tribe. It's going to happen. His word promises to be true. My question for you is, do you want to be a part of it happening on earth so that you can stand before the throne of heaven and go, oh my goodness, I prayed for you on April 28, 2019 in a little town called Auburn, Alabama. You're from Somalia? Wow. My neighborhood is made up of 50% non-Asian people. 
from 50% Asian people. That's just the demographic that we live in. I want you to open your eyes to where you are. And before you think about getting on a plane, just go to Walmart. Go to Starbucks. Go to your neighbor's door and do this. Ready? Ready for this? Hi. I've got good news of great joy for you. And at some point, I'd love to share that. Can we check out together? And see, the power rests in what God has done. And our privilege as people is to be the proclaimers of what he has done. Will you pray with me? We're so glad you listened to the Grace Auburn Church Podcast. If you'd like more information about ways you can partner with the mission of Grace Auburn Church, visit our website, graceauburn.church.